Hey there, I am Barb Higgins, and this is A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumph, and tragedy as I continue to retrace my steps under what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. By doing so, I hope to not only help myself, but to bring purpose and possibility to those who listen. If you are ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, then tie, buckle, face up, or slip on your shoes, and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 122 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So as I sit here on December 10th, wishing everyone a happy new year, (laughs) I'm going round and round and round. This is like the fifth time I've started this podcast. Sometimes all I say is hi, and then I turn it off and start over. It's been one of those days. I've been pondering for a long time what to talk about. And since today is January 2nd, and we're heading into 2024, of course, I got to thinking about typical practices around New Year's. And typically what people do is take an inventory of the prior year, ups and downs, good and bad, pretty and ugly, and then make a pile of resolutions for the new year. And typically those resolutions come waking up from quite a hangover from New Year's Eve and swearing that for the next 365 days, only healthy food will be eaten and the gym will be attended on a daily basis and prayer will commence upon waking every day and water will be consumed. Well, these are things that go through my head. But as I sit here pondering my own next year of my life, I realize that oftentimes our New Year's resolutions are not about what we want to do, but examples of what we know that we won't do so we can continue this negative cycle of self-hate and self-criticism, right? We commence and promise and make a list of things to do that we likely know we can't maintain or keep up. And we are gung-ho for four to six weeks. And then by spring and March and St. Patrick's Day, all those New Year's resolutions have gone out the window. Gym memberships are back down. It's not crowded anymore. It's just sort of interesting and it's, and it's quite predictable. In my crazy up and down life, predictability is sometimes comforting, oftentimes not. So today, which is December 10th, and the reason I keep saying that is it's the beginning of a week that has now completely taken on a new reality. I am supposed to be heading off to record my book this week, but I've been sick. I got COVID in the very beginning of December, end of November, beginning of December. And I'm better now as I talk, but I still have a terrible cough and I'm sneezing and snuffling. I'm chock full of antihistamines right now. So I'm looking relatively normal on, on this podcast. So I had to cancel my recording dates for Monday and Tuesday, the 11th and 12th, because you can't record a book all stuffy-nosed. Speaking of the book, I had to make some fairly significant edits. One of the great things about my publishing company is that there isn't 20,000 copies of my book sitting in a warehouse waiting to be purchased. They're sort of produced on demand. So I can edit the book and the edits go into the PDF file that the book, book manufacturing company has and the new book gets manufactured with the edits. So nobody knows, nobody knows any different unless you would like to look at page, you know, 52 in one book and the other and see that they're slightly different. It's been emotional for me though. I say again and again and again that my other people's stories aren't mine to tell, but sometimes other people's stories play a huge role in mine and it's hard to navigate around it. In making the current edits, Virginia, my ghostwriter and good author friend, was, you know, expressed some, you know, sort of sadness and a bit of disbelief that we were making the changes. But she doesn't live the reality of other people in this sense. I mean, she's not living the reality of the person who's, who could be hurt by my words. 
she's also a fiction writer. And why would, why would you ever change a good story? And I will say the original, the original book period that one day I hope to publish the real motherland, right? Is so much more in depth and factual and full of information than the one I was able to publish. And this is sometimes the nature of storytelling, right? Once this book is read and, and available and audible, and once the hardcover comes out in April and all of those things, the edited version will commence. This is a situation with memoirs. This is a problem with memoirs sometimes. And I think problem is the wrong word, but I'm telling the truth. I'm telling a story and not everyone, everyone likes how their piece of the story sounds. You know, Kenny, I was very honest about my struggles with Kenny and he didn't like that. Did you have to be so honest? Actually, yes, I did. I had to be so honest. Otherwise, I'm just writing a, a fictionalized version of what happened to me. I know that in the upcoming books I'm planning on writing, one centering around my battles with addiction and one all about my job loss and the whole situation with Roy, those two books will be very difficult for a lot of people to read. I need to say that I will honor privacy and I will honor the sanctity of stories and what parts are mine to tell. Which brings me to my topic for today, which again happened on this day, December 10th, before I'd figured out what I was going to say in this podcast. I had no idea when I woke up this morning what I would talk about. You all know we're doing over our kitchen, yes. So in the process of demolishing the pantry, all sorts of treasures were found in the walls of our house. Crayons and little toys, newspapers, National Geographic's, handwritten receipts, little pamphlets about New Hampshire, all sorts of really interesting things that clearly the Hart family thought were relevant and important and meaningful to put into a wall. And they're all in there. And so I was dusting them off today. We're all sitting around in our jammies on a, on a rainy Sunday morning here in New Hampshire. Jack is looking at his tablet and Gracie's playing on her phone and Kenny and I are watching the news. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to sit around here. And all of these items were on a table on our porch, just getting damp, and damaged by the weather. And so I thought, okay, they've been in our walls for 90 years. I need to bring them inside and dust them off and look at them. So one of the neatest things of living in my house is that the family that built the house, the Hart family, H-A-R-T, lived in this house from when it was built in 1905 until 1990, 90 years, it was theirs, maybe between 85 and 90. I think it may have sat empty for a while. And then one family bought it from them and remodeled it Well, you know, did some structural repairs and then we moved in. So we're the third family to live here. And my hunch is that we will own this house as long as the Hearts did. So Irene Hart is a legend in educational history in New Hampshire. She was born in 1897. So she was a teacher, you know, during the depression, during World War I, you know, the depression, all of those, she was, you know, a teacher during the times that teachers had to be single if they were women. Male teachers did not have to be single, female teachers did. And male teachers made a significantly greater amount of money than female teachers. Irene spent her life bringing credibility to women in education and to the job of teaching. She was instrumental in raising the salaries of female teachers. She was instrumental in evoking change in the treatment of teachers. She was an instrumental in tying teachers union and pay and insurance into the state system so that teachers would receive lifelong benefits and social security like men did in other fields. She was amazing. She was a hero. I started teaching in the Concord School District in 1990. At that time, Irene lived in a nursing home about a mile from here, and she was in a wheelchair, and she was the guest of honor at the first day of school. And she spoke. She talked about what it was like 
to see education transform, what it was like to watch women and men come into a field equally and teach together, and that your pay wasn't determined by your gender or your sex, that it was determined by a teaching contract that was levied and put together on fairness and equity and years in the, in the business and how much education you had. She did amazing things. She was the founder of the NEA, the, the New Hampshire Education Association, which is the teachers union in New Hampshire, which is the NEA is the National Education Association. This was NEA New Hampshire. I remember listening to her speak and in 1990, I was you know 27. <laughs> so I was, you know, wide-eyed and coming into education like a lot of people were just excited to be a part of, of teaching and thinking I had a lifetime of it ahead of me. And I guess at age 60, I still do. That was 33 years ago. So I'll never forget that was my first day in the Concord School District. So when we purchased this house, Kenny and I, I did a little history on it. I knew the Hart family and I realized, oh my gosh, Irene Hart. And that connection wasn't lost on me. She died in 1995 and we bought this house in 2000. So she'd only been in heaven five years and we moved in. I brought Gracie home from the hospital in April of 2001. And a man drove up in a green Subaru and he was Mr. Hart. I can't remember his first name. And he cried. He shared his life story with me. We walked through the house. He looked at things. He just wanted to see what it looked like. And I remember being a little bit nervous because I had this newborn baby in my arms and I, and I was just anxious, but he was so kind and he gave me a folder full of pictures and documents, which I need to find. And looking at the house and just the history of the house and what happened here. And he explained, you know, how they lived in it and that the upstairs was closed off all winter because there was no heat up there. And so they stayed downstairs and there was a big stove in the kitchen and every room has a door. This is a really classic New England home. Homes now are all open concept. You go from one room to the next and there's no way to close a room off. That isn't our house at all. The only open room is the living room into the dining room, but that's but you can close that room off, doors to the kitchen, doors to here, the room I'm in now. And so it was just wonderful to learn the history of my house. So why am I rambling on about the history of my house? Well, here's why. Because today when I started dusting off all of the things on that had been found in the walls, I came across the teacher's helper in humane education. And Irene's name is on it. So this is her copy. The Teacher's Helper in Humane Education, this is the fifth edition. There have been six editions adapted to meet the needs of the country. It was published in England first, and now it's here. The Humane Education Association is located at 180 Longwood Ave in Boston, Massachusetts. So I'm holding up this really, really old book. And I thought, oh my gosh, humane education, what does this mean? Well, it's interesting, and I'm, I'm going to read a little bit from it in a minute, but I was drawn to it immediately. And ultimately, quickly before I read any of the details of this, humane education is about teaching children to be kind to animals, using kindness to animals as a vehicle through which to teach humane treatment of everything, of your environment, of your belongings, of your family, of people, of animals. There's a whole sort of step-by-step -step guideline here on how teachers can still teach reading and writing and arithmetic while using humane treatment of animals as an example. They go through all the different animals, the natural nature of horses, the nature of dogs, the nature of birds, and then how, how these animals are happy and comfortable and why treating farm animals and service animals with kindness, giving them a big stall and feeding them well and showing them love will raise your, their work ethic much more than abusing them and battering them into working for you. Sometimes it's common sense, but I'm a firm believer that when you're really praying for something or meditating for something or desiring something in your life, that it isn't dropped in your lap as a gift. 
that you're given opportunities to learn how to how to have it. So for example, if you if you're looking for wealth, I want wealthy. I want to be wealthy. Show me money. What you might get shown is three different jobs that you could apply to get that would pay you well. And that when you get this job and you work hard, you know, eventually you'll get wealthy. There. That's how you your prayers for wealth are answered. It's not necessarily winning the lottery. I did a podcast episode once on patience, or maybe it was a Facebook live, and that when you pray for patience, God or the universe doesn't bestow patience upon you. You get chance after chance after chance to practice patience, things that test your patience. The way that you get patience is to practice it. And so in looking for what I wanted to talk about and in thinking about the new year and what are my stupid New Year's resolutions going to be this time, it's no surprise to me that what I came across in the dusting off of all these 100-year-old pieces of paper was the Teacher's Helper in Humane Education, 5th edition. New Hampshire Educational Bulletin for Teachers. Humane Education Laws Now Exist. This is a piece of paper I'm looking at. Humane Literature and Band of Mercy Supplies. The book Black Beauty is an example of a book you could read with your class. And then here we have Humane Exercise for Bands of Mercy or Junior Humane Leagues. So here we have ways for children to get involved, to learn and practice humane behavior. These are all the most recent publish of this is 1932. I got a little emotional looking at these things because right now, I think our political climate is as inhumane as it could be. Neither of our presidential candidates show a lot of humanity. None of the wars that are being fought overseas, the Ukraine, Gaza, Israel, there's minimal humanity there. And there's minimal humanity in the ways that either side is being supported. The vitriol I see on social media is heart-wrenching. And <laughs> humane literature and band of mercy supplies is what I find. I lose sleep sometimes over, over the anger and vitriol with which we treat one another. And if you got inside the heads of either side of an issue, I think what you have is the same thing. And I've often said that about the two sides of politics. When you look at the heart of hearts of hardcore Republicans and hardcore Democrats, for the most part, you find really good people that believe firmly in what they want. And they believe in what they believe. They think it's right and good. And unfortunately, you get people that have, you know, evil in their hearts and, you know, have no trouble treating each other poorly. And they often take traction. I'm going to read the opening paragraph to this. And, and I just really want to give a shout out and a thanks to Irene, who I hope is in this room with me, because I know she spent, you know, her whole life living in this house. It was finished in 1905, which means she would have been eight. So she grew up here and lived here until she was moved into a nursing home a mile up the road. Humane education, what it is and how to teach it. It is the awakening and fostering, particularly in the mind of the child, of those principles of justice, fair play, and kindness toward every form of life, human and subhuman, capable of suffering, without which there can be no character worthy of citizenship in a free state. That's incredible. I'm going to read it one more time so you don't have to rewind it. What is humane education? It is the awakening and fostering, particularly in the mind of the child, of those principles of justice, fair play, and kindness toward every form of life, human and subhuman, capable of suffering, without which there can be no character worthy of citizenship in a free state. That's phenomenal to me. I sit on a school board, as you all know, and when the instructional committee meets and we talk about, you know, what are we teaching our kids? There's a lot of controversy now over what's being taught in public schools. And I think if we took a step back and stopped paying attention to the subject matter so much and paid attention to how we present what we present, are we teaching humane education? 
a lot of the fear and a lot of the desire to censor would dissipate. What is the object of the Humane Education Society? By humane education, to stop all forms of cruelty, both to human beings and the lower animals. To this end, it would quickly quicken in our colleges, schools, and elsewhere that spirit of chivalry, chivalry and humanity, which shall finally end all wars, prevent lawlessness, anarchy, and crime. Peace on earth and goodwill to every living creature. This is its goal. So this is 1932, and a stark detail in this paragraph I just read is it doesn't say peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, English is a limited language in, the, in that it doesn't have a neutral gender. A lot of languages have a feminine, a masculine, and a neutral, and, and English doesn't. So God is always is a he. In many religions and in biblical translations, the gender is neutral. And so in translating it to languages that don't have a neutral gender, you have to pick one. And so, and not surprisingly, positions of power have often been given to men. So I look at human education. I look at this, and I'm just overwhelmed. There's letters to the teacher. Why is this work worthwhile? One Band of Mercy in San Francisco. It talks all about what is the psychology of this for the child's sake. This is incredible stuff, which I will do a ton of research on. For the purpose of this podcast, January 2nd, 2024, Happy New Year once again. What came to mind for me was that I struggle every year with what will my New Year's resolutions be? I set goals and reset goals all the time. I'm an athlete. I have an athletic mindset. I like to set a goal that has an endpoint and I can work hard toward it. When I think back to 2023, I published a book. I got 501c3 status for the Molly B Foundation. I participated in 75 hard and became a sober person. And while I have had alcohol in the last couple of months, a couple of times, one of the greatest turnarounds for me, and I consider this a victory that's very tenuous, is having drinks doesn't make me want to have more drinks. One of my biggest issues with alcohol, especially after Molly died, was that I just didn't want to feel things. And so I liked the feeling of intoxication. And while I will say that the initial feelings that an alcoholic drink gives you are nice and wonderful, they don't do to me what they did even six months ago. It doesn't I don't finish one and, and jones for the next one. So I'm excited about that. Does that mean I'll start drinking every day? Oh, heck no. I have no desire to. And I think that's one of the biggest reliefs I can, I can sort of share right now. If I had to come up with a New Year's resolution for this year, I think it would have to deal with humanity. So I want to share something else. So I looked up humanity. What does it mean? So the definition of humane is having or showing compassion or benevolence. So compassion, you know, that's tenderness and love towards others. Benevolence, when you're benevolent, you're giving, you're volunteering, you're willing to share yourself with others in a positive way. The next definition was inflicting the minimum pain. And the example here was killing someone in a humane way. So how do you kill somebody in a humane way? Well, when we're thinking of animals, there are painful ways to slaughter animals and there are humane ways to slaughter animals. The bottom line is you're slaughtering an animal, but a lot of the humane society, the humane society is treating animals properly. My great aunt Connie, my great great aunt Connie was a member of the humane society. She had a bumper sticker on her car. She was very, very, very devoted to kindness to animals. She never had any children of her own. And I oftentimes, people I know that don't have children for whatever reason, often have lots of pets or are very devoted to animals. And I think this is our, this is our mothering nature, our parenting nature. We want so much to show, to show love and kindness to others. And quite frankly, puppies and babies are very, very similar. <laughs> and so this was interesting to me. The next definition of humane, a branch of learning, who knew, intended to have a civilizing or refining effect on people. 
That's pretty significant to me. So I have decided that all my New Year's resolutions, quote unquote, will center under the umbrella of humane treatment, treating one another in a humane way, humane education, having a showing compassion. The hardest part for me will be sharing that with myself. I am a number one hater of myself. I have created a life for myself sometimes where I just set myself up for situations that will remind me how terrible I am. It's a horrible way to live. And some of those self-hatred habits are hard to break, but I'm daily working on that. So I don't have a hard time being kind to others or loving others. I oftentimes do it at expense to myself. So that's something that will need to change for me very much so. So then I researched a little bit the history of New Year's resolutions, right? Why do we have these New Year's resolutions? So it actually... Over 4,000 years ago in ancient Babylonia, the new year was a time to reflect on the past year, look at what, what you accomplished or didn't, and have expectations for the new year. It was also in Rome. And in the Roman practice of New Year's resolutions, it was much more about atonement of sin, of looking at your sins and having praying for atonement and, and then setting goals to be less sinful for the next year. What came to mind for me immediately was CrossFit, of course, and running. And we have these benchmark workouts. And so it's a workout. Typically, the benchmark workouts have a name. They're typically women's names. Not all of them, though. And you do the workout and you have a score or a time or an amount of weight. And then you work out for several months and you redo the benchmark and you see if you've improved or how much you've improved. This is a really good way to monitor training. Am I successful? Sometimes I can feel, be feeling really bad about my training and I look at my benchmark workouts and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've improved so much. Why am I upset about this? Right. So here it is, 2024. I have all of this literature on humane education. I have another year in the school board. I can manifest a lot of anger in my position there because it can be very difficult to deal with some of the behaviors of people on a school board. However, I can be a unifying force and I can, again, encourage humane treatment of others. I can treat myself in a humane way. I have a two-year-old child. I can offer examples for him of how to treat people in a humane way. In looking back at humane education, humane education laws now exist in 26 states of the union. This is 1932, by the way. The humane bulletin has been prepared in order that teachers may present this subject to their pupils in a practical and attractive way. <laughs> a practical and attractive way. Then we have a pamphlet that gives lists of supplies that will be helpful to teachers. Another thing that I find interesting in the language is human and subhuman. So subhuman makes it sound like not as valuable. And I think there was a mindset that animals weren't as valuable. In my religion, the Baha'i faith, we're taught that while humanity is, of course, supreme beings on earth in, in the sense that we have intellect and we can process information and make decisions and that we can exert control over every other species, pretty much, we are taught to be kind and honor and be humble in our treatment of those, quote unquote, less than us. So sub makes it sound sort of judgmental to me. And some of the other language here is our dumb animals, 12 issues, are dumb animals. People that couldn't talk were often referred to as dumb, deaf and dumb, can't hear, can't talk. Okay, nobody who's mute is necessarily dumb and we don't use that terminology anymore. I look at this wording and I think, okay, we've made some progress, even though it doesn't feel that way. In the list of, of ways to care for animals about the horse, what constitutes cruelty? Humane horse book, the horse, treatment of sores and diseases, the care of mules, know your horse, how to treat a horse, the folly of the blinder, the horse's prayer. All of these are books and resources for teachers. When you go to this pamphlet about the dog, about the bird, about the cat, 
And listed under these things are a variety of texts and articles and books that teach you about these things and how to treat them well. About other animals, humane education, sanctuary, sanctuary, the teacher's helper, care and kindness for our animal friends. It's amazing to me. This was all in the wall of my house. What stood out to me the most though, and it reminds me of Molly, is back to the first definition I read. The principles of justice, fair play, and kindness to every form of life. One thing Molly couldn't stand was injustice. It was really difficult for her. And I talk about this a lot in my book. She would hate to hear that children were still dying in emergency rooms because her death didn't help. Doctors and nurses realized that lawsuits weren't about money. They were about making sure children didn't die at the hands of neglectful doctors. The new year is difficult for me. Molly's last New Year's Eve, we stood in a circle around a baseball bat outside, me, Gracie, and Molly, a wiffle ball bat that was in the yard. It was like 60 degrees at midnight. We're waiting for a Taylor Swift song. Things had been terrible. Things were terrible with Roy, out of control. I was drinking too much. Kenny and I had put our anger at each other on hold for the holidays so that Gracie and Molly could have a good Christmas. Kenny was asleep already. I was shit-faced. And we stood outside and we put our hands on the baseball bat, one over the other over the other. And we swore that 2016 was going to be the best year ever. And we all know it wasn't. It wasn't even okay on January 1st or January 2nd. The beginning months of that year, I made decision after decision that didn't fit the definition of humane at all in a theoretical sense. I wasn't kind to myself. I wasn't kind to my family. Now, granted, people weren't kind to me either, but that's neither here nor there. I really can only control my behavior. When you have a traumatic event in your life, when you relive the days and months leading up to it, it all comes back. There could be no time now between New Year's Eve 2015 and New Year's Eve now. In my mind, relive all of them since Molly's died. Some of them were spent driving the car. Some of them were spent asleep. All of them were spent intoxicated unless I was driving. And as I record this, I have no idea what New Year's Eve will be like, was like for me last night, right? I don't know. It's December 10th. I do know that I'm shown things when I'm anxious and I'm looking around and I'm struggling, I'm shown things and I'm struggling now. This podcast is likely disjointed and I apologize. Sit back and be disjointed with me. Some key words in this definition of what is humane education and what's the object of it is just so basic to me and I can find huge frustration in why we don't practice this. I think all people want to be treated well and to treat others well. And I don't always know why it's so difficult. And I don't always know why people are so broken that they can be horrible to others, but there are people that can. When Molly changed her Instagram message, her Instagram profile message on her bio, it was Friday night and 48 hours later, she would be dead. We wouldn't know she was dead at the time, but she would be dead. And part of me thinks her soul or whatever the energy is that lives inside of the physicality of our bodies knew that. And I think that certain things, she did certain things because on some level, she knew she was supposed to do those things. So behind me is Molly's quote. Do you think you have a purpose? If so, what? I think mine is to make people happy. Does that make you happy? Yes, purpose fulfilled. Humane education is the awakening and fostering, particularly in the mind of the child, of those principles of justice, fair play, and kindness toward every form of life, human and subhuman, capable of suffering, without which there can be no character worthy of citizenship in a free state. Citizenship in a free state. There was a lot more connection to our constitution and the political, not political, that's the wrong word, and the goals of our founding fathers, founding folks, right, on what it meant to be an American. 
a free state is just a place where everybody, regardless of race, religion, gender, class, can enjoy consistent and similar freedoms. That we shouldn't be held down because of something we have no control over. We have shown that that's a really difficult thing to live for. What comes to mind when I think of this quote in terms of Molly is a little girl named Raina that she met. Molly was fixated on Raina from the moment Raina came to class. She was overweight. She clearly didn't come from a family with a lot of money. She didn't always look or smell great. She was awkward sometimes. And she was an easy target for people to pick on. And this infuriated Molly. One of my strongest memories of walking with Molly up to the car, one of the blessings of my job loss was that I could pick up my kids from school. I could go get them and see them and be there with them. And I did a lot. And I would stand outside of Molly's class. She was in fourth grade when she was closest with Raina. She came out finally with all of her stuff. She and I, Molly and I were walking up the street, up Warren Street to our car. And Raina was on the other side of the road. And Molly saw her and yelled out, hi, Raina. Have a nice afternoon, Raina. Have a good weekend. And Raina looked at her and said, thank you. And I asked Molly a little bit about her. And Molly just said that she couldn't stand when people were treated badly for things they couldn't control. This ate at Molly, I think. And sometimes <laughs> when her desires were squelched, you know, by me telling her no, she can get really angry. But it came from a place of wanting fairness and justice and hating when things weren't right. And that's how I am sometimes. I can get really angry when people are, hip are hypocritical or lie. She made a huge effort to make Raina feel included. They had a music, music show at the end of the school year and Molly choreographed two of the dances for this show. One of them was Beautiful Rain, and it was a song about the rain and umbrellas. And Molly said, I'm going to invite Raina to dance in it. Molly's music teacher, Mrs. Guzman, gave her latitude to choreograph. I went out and bought umbrellas, and she choreographed this beautiful dance. And Raina was one of the ones selected. Molly took some heat from this, from some of the pretty popular girls in the class. No offense to the pretty popular girls, but those were the ones that she didn't include. She chose kids that would never get picked. And the dance was beautiful. It was complex enough to be entertaining to watch and easy enough that all of them could do the dance beautifully. I have it in, in a Dropbox file somewhere and I'll post it someday. It was a beautiful dance. And Molly said when she would listen to that song that she would think in her head, beautiful Raina, because she knew that inside of Raina and inside of her external circumstances was a beautiful girl. When Molly went off to middle school, Raina moved to a different town. And so they were no longer in school together. And we often talked about her for the, you know, almost two years that Molly had left. And Molly's hope that she was being treated well, right? Molly started Raina's recess reading club. And it was a way to get Raina out of the classroom and onto the playground and not be alone. So Molly was thick into reading Harry Potter, as was Keisha. So Molly and Keisha started reading together at recess and invited Raina to join them. And pretty soon there were five or six people all sitting on this bench reading or sitting under a tree reading. And it was a really sort of beautiful thing. And it wasn't lost on Molly's teachers and the administrators at the school. Justice, fair play, and kindness toward every form of life. I get teary-eyed here because I just see humane education as exemplifying everything that Molly was. By humane education, to stop all forms of cruelty, both to human beings and the other animals. The purpose of humane education is to stop all forms of cruelty. Ah, would that it were that simple, right? That we could just teach people how to be humane and they would be. 
I don't want to make a list of resolutions this year. There are certain things I'm going to be doing. By the time this podcast airs, I'll be 24 hours into my next 75 hard experience. There's a level two that you can do. Once you've accomplished level one, you do it again and you add some things in and modify it a little. I may not do it exactly the way it's written, but I will spend 75 days, the first 75 days of 2024, sticking to a behavior pattern that is good for me, mind, body, spirit. I think the biggest way I can show humane treatment to myself is to slow down. I have a really hard time with that. I'm constantly, constantly keeping myself busy. And I think slowing down is a good thing. Humane treatment of myself is to pay attention to myself. In the past several weeks and months, I've noticed as Jack gets older and more articulate and more verbal, he is one insightful little boy. And what he asks me all the time is if I'm a happy boy. Is mama a happy boy? Mama, you a happy boy? Mama, okay? And what this tells me is that he notices often that I'm not. I have these big wrinkle lines between my eyes. They started forming when I was in high school. And I remember as a little girl, I would often ask my mother if she was okay, because she always looked worried. And I know that she was lost in thought. Now that I know more of the details of, of her life while we were growing up, I understand that she had a lot going on inside her head. And as much as we say we're not going to be like our parents, sometimes we end up exactly like our parents. And I often worried about my mother because I worried that she was unhappy and that it must be my fault, right? Jack will often say to me, I happy mama, I okay, I okay. So how do I, how do I practice the humane treatment of Jack? Well, I don't hit him and I don't call him bad names. I don't starve him or abuse him. I love him unconditionally, I do. It doesn't mean I don't scream and yell in frustration <laughs> in the same room he's in. But the biggest gift I can give Jack is to treat myself well, to practice this humane behavior to myself. I have goals that I want to accomplish in 2024. I want to stop talking about the Molly Beat Foundation as a future entity and finish this calendar year with a solid several hundred thousand dollar foundation. I want it to be an actual real foundation that can do good things. I want my podcast and my blog to take off. I want people to read my book. I want Charlie Gibson to put it on his podcast. And I want Oprah to talk about it on her book club. That may or may not happen, but that's, that's where I'm at in my head. What I like most about what I do is when I meet someone with whom my words resonate, those teeny tiny invisible humane acts of kindness and fair play and justice. When I was at the dance show selling Molly baskets, raffle tickets for the Molly B basket, a woman came up to me who's very politically involved and said that she had just started listening to my podcast. And I said, ah, <laughs> you'll get to know me. And she said, no, I'm getting to know myself. That's a huge compliment. In 2024, the groundwork that I've started to put together, I had a meeting with my podcast editor. So where are we going now? He is a big thinker. He's entrepreneurial. He's organized. He does his research. I'm quite sure he sits back and looks at me sometimes like, <laughs> hello. But I know that I'm ready to turn a corner. I'm at a fork in the road and I can go one way or another. And it's time for me to really step out of this comfort zone and do big things. I don't even know what that means. But I do know that as I sit here on December 10th, looking around at my continually messy office that I've been complaining about since podcast episode one, I know that when this calendar year comes to a close and I'm 52 episodes beyond here, so it'll be episode 174, whew, that this room will look a lot different and that the physical changes of this room will be a metaphor for the emotional, mental, social, professional, entrepreneurial changes inside of me. No character unworthy of citizenship in a free state. By making myself better, 
I make myself a better citizen in the free state in which I live. I'm in a pondery place right now. It's January 2nd, 2024. I'm in my 61st year. I would love more significant engagement with you, my listeners. I would love much more conversing back and forth, not just silently and anonymously. I would love a much bigger interchange. I've had the honor and privilege of being guests on other podcasts. I would love to have more guests on mine. I've had some terrific guests. I have an episode coming up where I interview some high school students and a teacher and a friend of mine about this amazing thrift shop that's been put together at my local high school. I want that to just multiply exponentially. I committed 2024 knowing that because of my of Molly's love of theater and my guidance from her to support RB Productions, that that theater company is going to do things that it could never have done if it weren't for the donation from the Molly B Foundation, that company's sponsorship. Part of me is uncomfortable saying it, but you know what? It's Molly. The number of children that will get helped because of that theater company hopefully will be too big to count. It's time. I think it's time. So happy new year, 2024. What I would like to do a few episodes down the road is to go over some of your new year's resolutions. What are they? What are you resolving to do in 2024? What's a big one? What's a small one? Maybe we can have like a thousand tiny steps new year's resolution. That's something we all do together. I don't know. I think it would be interesting to talk about the ways that we're all trying to move forward in a world that is very, very adept at holding people back. I have trepidation and excitement about the new year. If 2016 taught me anything, it's that anything can happen. And that doesn't always mean it's going to be good. So humane education, (laughs) expect a blog post about this. Irene Hart, who built this house with her family, lived in it her whole life and did amazing thing for teachers and for women in the state of New Hampshire. Molly Banzoff, sweet little Molly, who spent 13 years of her life, the only 13 years she got in this very house. I take them through my new year with me. On this January 2nd, be good to yourself, right? Make a list of 10 things that were awesome about 2023. Leave the bad stuff out. Be good to someone else. Compliment somebody. Buy somebody's coffee. Say hello to somebody you might not normally say hello to. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories as I love connecting with my listeners. If you would like to get to know Molly, head over to mollybfoundation.org to see what she is all about. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444. On Facebook is Barb Higgins and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.